I don't think you said it right. That's okay. <laughs> Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, we're going to read Luke 9, verses 18 through 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. When he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mr. Clemens. Good morning. I would encourage any of you who are interested in that ministry, take an hour and a half out of a midday and go watch one of their presentations at a local public school. Watch Fran and Amber in action. I've, I've done it. It's Awesome. It is such a beautiful thing to watch them giving this message in the public arena, giving God's truth. And you just hear the stats. It's like God's truth. I think maybe it's actually true. Like maybe this actually is the way the world works. Um, but it's super inspiring. I would encourage you to, to go be a high schooler again and, uh, and, and take advantage of that. It's really great. So, well, we just wrapped up that this three-week series on uh, the role of Scripture the authority of Scripture in our lives, going to God's Word as our source of truth and guidance, submitting to His Word, obeying His Word. And, and now we're going to jump back into our series in Luke. And I think today's passage is a nice uh, touch point with our, our series on the authority of Scripture as we hear from Jesus' words. But we're going to be in Luke's Gospel now. We started back in the fall. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel through till uh, Easter this year. So we've got a couple more months and we'll celebrate the resurrection in Luke's account. It's actually the same account we celebrated last year. So it'll be full circle by the end of the year. And um, so just to get us back into Luke's gospel, I want to <clears throat> kind of let you know how Luke's gospel is structured. Here's a map of Israel. Might be hard for some of you in the back to see, but up on the top, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you have that blue, the Sea of Galilee up there in the galley. And then you have at the bottom, I put a big black circle uh, around Jerusalem, the capital city. And Luke's gospel divides into two main sections. After the, the birth narratives, uh, Luke 3 through 9 is all about Jesus' ministry up in the north, up in the Galilee. And he's going around from town to town. He's preaching and teaching and healing and, and loving and serving and all these things. And uh, probably for a couple of years, he's up there. And then in chapter 9, there's this transitional verse that reads like this. This is 9 verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he's been up in the north, and then he turns his, faith, 
his face southward to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross. And he sets out on this journey towards the cross. And Luke gives us almost 10 chapters on this journey. It's probably not that much time in terms of his actual ministry, but we get 10 chapters of journeying with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. And for his disciples, this was, of course, a a literal journey. They physically journeyed with him south to the capital city, to the crucifixion, then to the resurrection. But I think Luke wanted us to see this, that for them it was also very much a spiritual journey. As they are on the way with Jesus, learning to journey with him, learning to live life with him, learning what his values are, his priorities, what makes him tick. And so they go on this spiritual journey with Jesus in these chapters. And and that is my hope for us over the next couple months until Easter Sunday, that we will go on this journey where we'll hear the invitation of Jesus, come, follow me, journey with me. And we get to learn what life with Jesus is all about. Uh, And today's passage really represents the turning point in that narrative story. His question is sort of brings to a climax all that we've seen to this point, and they answer the question, and then that turns us then towards this journey uh, to the cross, to, Israel, uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, so this is a very foundational, uh, very fundamental passage today. Very important passage, I would argue, that's at the crux of Jesus' invitation, his call on a person's life. And I want to just warn you ahead of time, um, this is a passage that if you take it seriously, it will change your life. And I say that, I speak personally from that, because this is the passage, beyond any other passage, that God used, that Jesus used to change my life. 22 years ago, when I was a 20-year-old guy going to college, and I'd grown up in the church, I'd grown up with Christianity, I believed it, uh, and then I kind of lost my faith, and then through this call of Jesus... I felt like I was being invited into something that was deeper and richer than I'd ever dreamed it could be in my first 20 years. And it set my life on a a new inner journey. And this is a passage that 22 years later continues to inspire me. Um, It's a passage that continues to haunt me as I hear the call and I look at my own life and see the the variance between those two things. Um, But this this, this can change your life if you take it seriously. So, um, with that warning, a <laughs> um, little context here. Um, after, you know, a couple years, the, the disciples have probably been with Jesus for a couple years. They've been watching him in action. And in this moment, he kind of steps back from all the ministry and he says, okay, so what do you think? You, you've seen me in action. You've seen my heart. You've seen what I'm all about. What, what do you think? And he begins by first asking uh, in verse 18, what are the people? What are the crowds? What are they saying? What's the word about who I am? And, and you hear their response. John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe one of the great prophets. So the crowds are still kind of searching to figure out who is this guy. They haven't fully understood who he is. And then Jesus turns the question on to the disciples. Verse 20. Yeah, but what about, what about you guys? Who do you Say I am. I, I think that's a question that every human being ultimately has to answer. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, as is his custom, speaks first. He speaks up and he speaks well, I think, in this case. And he says, you are God's Messiah. We've seen you in action. We've seen what makes you tick. We've seen it all. 
And we believe you're the Messiah. You're the one. You're the one God has promised. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the king. You're the great divinic king who's come to rescue his people, to redeem his people. We believe you are the one. And Peter is absolutely right. That is the right answer. He is the one. And it's this beautiful moment of affirmation. After several years with Jesus, they've seen it all and they are right. Yes, we've got it. You are the Messiah. I think this, the, the gospel has been building up to this question and this answer to this point. Okay? Now, I want to suggest that what happens next would have been utterly shocking, unexpected, and almost nonsensical to the disciples after they've identified Jesus as the Messiah. And we, some of us have heard this story before, so it doesn't surprise us. But what comes next would have made no sense to them. All right, let's look at what Jesus does next. Verse 21. You're the Messiah, they said. Uh, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. They'd be like, what? <laughs> like, isn't that why you've come? Isn't that why you're doing all these miracles? Isn't that why you're teaching? Isn't that why crowds are gathering? So that they can know you're the Messiah. Isn't that why you've come? Yet, don't tell anyone. Strictly warned. Do not say this to anybody. That makes no sense, Jesus. And I think what we'll see from Luke is, is one of the reasons is because for the way that Jesus is going to be Messiah is so out of line with what the people's expectations of Messiah are, what, the, what they would think of when they think of Messiah. It's like, that label is going to be so unhelpful, I don't even want you to use it. Until the whole story's been told, people aren't going to understand because I've got a completely different way of being Messiah. And that's what he goes on to do uh, in verse 22. He says, let me, let me tell you what it means for me to be the Messiah. It's not going to be this great king who kicks out the Romans and sets up a throne in Jerusalem. No, instead he says this, verse 22. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, again, we've heard this message so many times, but they would have heard that and it would have literally not made sense to them. They would have no frame of reference for a Messiah who would be rejected and who would suffer and who would die at the very hands of the elders and leaders. That makes no sense. If you read Luke's gospel, there's three, it's funny, there's three specific occasions where Jesus, like in very clear language, says to them, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised. And every single time, it's like, they, they, they just don't get it. Like, let me show you the last one. This is the third time he says this. This is later in the gospel. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them. Now, you tell me if this is clear or unclear. Okay? We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man, that's himself, will be fulfilled. Uh, he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Pretty clear, I think. Next verse. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Okay? They, there is no room in their cognitive framework to make sense of what he's saying. And until the story is told, until they live it out, it just won't make sense who he has come to be. And so what the journey is, then this journey narrative, this is all about Jesus beginning to redefine for them 
who the Messiah is. Redefine what it means for him. Reframe what it means for him to be the, 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 the Messiah. He's saying, let me show you my, my, how my kingdom works. Let me show you what, what being Messiah means to me. And then he goes on in verse 23. This is where I really want to narrow in today. To begin to reframe and reveal what the journey of following Jesus as Messiah is all about. All right? Let me read it to you again. Verse 23. Okay, try to take this in today. Here's what the journey with me is all about, Jesus saying. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and, let lose, uh, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, these words are beginning to set the foundation for the journey with Jesus, for what life with Jesus is like. And what he's doing, I think, in these words is he's getting to the very core of some of our deepest desires and drives in life. What every human being, what drives us to do what we do and to live the way we, we live, he is tapping into those deepest desires. There's two words that he uses uh, that I want to highlight before we kind of walk through each verse. Uh, the first word is the word self. Okay? You must deny yourself. Or verse 25, what good is it to gain the whole world and, let, and, and yet lose your very self? All right? So I'm going to give you a... Uh, two words here. The first word is the self. So there you are. The self. There's my gender neutral diagram of the self. <laughs> Insert yourself here. Um, he's tapping into this desire in all of us that he articulates in verse 24 is whoever wants to save their lives. It's a universal desire to keep ourselves safe, to preserve our lives, to secure our lives for ourselves, to protect, to secure. This plays out in so many different ways in all of our lives, okay? There's, of course, a de desire to protect ourselves physically, right? We want to keep ourselves safe from physical harm. There's a desire to save ourselves financially. We want to secure assets for ourselves. We want to keep them safe and guarded and, and, and kept for ourselves, right? Uh, it might be a relational um, desire where we, we, we want people's, you know, we want a reputation, right? We want a good reputation among our friends and families. And we, we deeply want to keep that safe. We want to protect that reputation with ourselves. Um, it could be our, our plans for the future. We have hopes. We have dreams for the future. And we work hard to keep those safe, to make sure that we can hold on to those as we go through life. It's this universal drive to cling, to protect, to preserve, to safeguard ourselves, our lives. And Jesus wants to talk about that desire. And then the other word he uses is the word world that you see in verse 25. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? So let me give you the next word. This word, world. And Jesus says that there's this desire to gain it. Meaning this world that we live in has various things to offer us. And there is this 
desire to gain those things, to possess those things, to acquire those things for ourselves. And again, that plays out in a bunch of different ways. So um, we want the world's approval, right? There's an approval that comes from the world, and we desire to gain that for ourselves. And we want the riches that this world offers us. We try to acquire them and collect them and gather them and gain them for ourselves. We maybe want the world's power or authority or or status that can be found in the world, and we try to gain that. Um, There are certainly pleasures, of course, many, many wonderful pleasures in this world that we want to gain for ourselves. There's comforts and conveniences in this world. There's this universal desire to to gain and possess and acquire things from this world. So taking these two together, these deep, deep human drives, the desire to save the self and the desire to gain the world. And these drives are so ingrained in every single one of us. I feel these two desires every day of my life in profound ways. From the minute I wake up and there's three girls who want to play with me to standing up here and sharing God's word with all of you to being with friends over a fun dinner. I feel these desires to preserve and save myself and keep myself safe and to gain the things from the world that I long for. And in the midst of those desires, Jesus steps in and he says, follow me. Follow me. And what he goes on to say in the rest of this passage is this invitation that I'm I'm offering to you to journey with me. Two things. One, it comes with a cost. There's no way around it. It comes with a cost. But it also comes with this amazing reward. And he just kind of lays them out. Here's the cost. Here's the reward. So I want to talk through those together today, and then we'll celebrate communion. So first, let's look at what is the cost? In the midst of this world, what is the cost of following Jesus? Well, let's look at, look at the verses. Uh, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple, here's the cost, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Let me put it up here. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Here's the first cost. You need to deny the self. (laughs) And I looked up the the original word that we get deny. The word means this, to disregard, to pay no attention to, to say no to. So Jesus is saying, you know that deep desire to cling and keep yourself safe and preserve your life? You have to let that go because you cannot live that way and follow me. You just can't do it because I have to be first. I have to come before your safety and your comfort and your riches and your reputation and your plans and your future. I have to come first. And so you have to let go of clinging to that kind of life so that you can cling to me instead. You have to deny the self in order to follow me. And, and we might ask, like, like, what do you mean deny? Like, like kind of deny? Really deny? Like, what, Jesus, what, what is that? What, what are we talking about here? Uh, well, that's where he gives us an image. And the image is this. Well, here's what I mean by deny. Uh, take up your cross. So what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to take up your cross? Um, what you need to know is that when Jesus says this in the first century, there are absolutely no religious or spiritual connotations to crosses. 
No one's wearing crosses, right, on their, on their necks. Not, no one's putting crosses up on buildings to tell you this is a spiritual community that you can come and worship at, okay? There's no religious overtone to a cross. A cross is one thing. A cross is a first century Roman tool of execution. So modern day, we might think of an electric chair, right? Or a lethal injection or the gallows, whatever century, their, their form of execution. That's all that a cross means in the first century. And, and they would all have seen public executions in their day. They've seen this happen. And, and the image of taking up your cross is what a, a convicted person would do. Once they were convicted, they would actually literally have to carry at least part of their cross um, from the place of sentencing to the place where they would be uh, crucified. Jesus himself had to literally do this. And so the image I think Jesus is using is, here, here's what I mean. I want you to live... I want you to live like that criminal who is carrying the instrument of their own death up to the point of crucifixion. Meaning, live as, the, as though you're as good as dead. In fact, live as though you're already dead. What, what do I mean by deny? I actually mean die. <laughs> die to what? Well, die to the self. Die to that, that desire to cling and hold and keep safe. And die to the world. Die to that desire to acquire and accumulate and and, and get all that this world offers. You have to die if you want to follow me. So hence Dietrich Bonhoeffer's famous words. This is part of the words that changed my life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. When Christ calls a woman, he bids her, come and die. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, death is not something you wait till the end of your life to experience. In fact, die first. Get it out of the way. Come follow me. That's that's the the severe invitation. That is the cost, and it's it's radical, right? This passage, I put this in a category of passages that Jesus says. Where I call it, these are the passages where it seems like Jesus is um, intentionally discouraging people from following him. Right? There's a bunch of passages. Like It seems like you're trying to keep people from following you. Um, look, look later in chapter 9. Go to verse 57. Uh, Luke records three separate instances where it seems like Jesus is trying to discourage people from following him. <coughs> Excuse me. First one, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically saying, hey, I don't have a home. You can follow me if you don't want to have a home. Uh, Number two, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. The man replied, I think um, very, this makes sense to me. uh, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems reasonable. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. I have no idea what that means. Uh, But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Number three, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Examples of Jesus actively discouraging people from following him. Seems like. And of course, I don't think that's what he's doing. But he's just saying, I'm going to, up front, I'm just going to let you know what the cost is. Okay? I'm not going to soft pedal. I'm not, there's, not, there's no bait and switch here. I'm letting you know this is, these are the costs. I want you to count the costs so you know what they are. And those costs will look different for every human being. 
right? And different in different centuries and in different places. You think of the disciples who heard this the first time, and for them, the cost was significant. They absolutely lost their reputation in the Jewish community. They lost their comforts and safety. Almost all of them actually lost their lives. Some of them literally died by crucifixion. Or you think of the Apostle Paul, this guy who, before he met Jesus, he really had it all. I mean, he was like, he had so much status. He was, um, he was the man in the religious elite community of his day. He had such a great reputation. People looked up to him. He had a lot of wealth. And then he met Jesus, and he lost all that. He lost his reputation in the community. He lost his wealth. He lost his comforts and safeties. And 2,000 years later, following Jesus will cost people different things. There are people today all around the world who following Jesus will cost them their family. It will cost them honor in their family as they'll be excluded from their family for the sake of Jesus. I think of the ministry of Beacon of Light we just heard about. Think about even just in our nation now. Young people, high schoolers, following Jesus costs them something. It costs missing out on all these amazing sexual experiences that their, par- their peers are, are having. It, 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 it costs them feeling like they're missing out on something really great. Or even us here in Orange County today, wherever we find ourselves, following Jesus will cost. It's going to be saying no to certain things, saying no to a certain version of the American dream. Life, liberty, the pursuit of possessions, right? This great American dream, Right? Following Jesus means saying, no, no, actually, that's not my dream. (laughs) That's not the story. That's not my dream. My dream is following Jesus being part of his kingdom. But that costs something in the midst of neighborhoods and communities where everyone else is. That is my dream. (laughs) That's absolutely what I'm going after. That will cost feeling like we're missing out on things, feeling like we're being left behind in certain ways, all sorts of of ways, right? The cost is different for everybody, but it's summed up right here. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I warned you, this is a tough one. How can this possibly be good news? <laughs> what, what could be worth doing with that? Um, I have lost control in so many ways, but particularly with this controller. Um, so I'm going to have you guys just... Ex- uh, Advance the slides from here. Can you please advance the slide? Thank you. You can keep it there. Um, I might might call on you later, so be ready. Um, So let's now look at what are are the benefits? What's the reward that Jesus offers? And and I was thinking about this week. I wanted to frame in terms of cost and reward. And as I read through the rest of the passage, I had to, like late on Friday, I'm like, actually, offering reward, that's not quite what Jesus does here. What he actually does is he first gives the cost of following him, and then he goes on to talk about the cost of not following him. That's actually what he does, and I want to be true to that. And I think that's important because so often when we read our Bibles, we go, oh, gosh, what's the cost? This is hard. And it's really important to consider, what's the cost of not following Jesus? And that's what he goes on to tell us. Three verses. He gives us a, I have three Ps for you today. I never have alliterations for you, but today, three Ps. Dave Sugden, he learned so much better with alliteration, so this is for him. (laughs) Three Ps. Jesus gives us a preview. Uh, He gives us a pointed question, and he gives us 
the paradox of the spiritual life. I'm going to take these verses in reverse order. So I'm going to, I'm going to start uh, in verse 26 and work our way back to verse 25 and 24. First, Jesus gives us a preview of what is to come. Let me read it to you. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus says, let me give you a preview. Here's a preview. There is a new world coming. And I know you can't see it yet, but it is on its way. It is the kingdom of God, and it is coming. And it is amazing. And the word he uses here to describe it is the word glory. When he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father, he said, this new world, it is glorious. It is weighty and radiant and beautiful and awesome. It is, I know you can't see it, but it is actually more substantial and significant than the world we're living in right now. C.S. Lewis brilliantly, he calls this life the shadow lands. Like, I know this feels real, it is real, but this is just the shadow lands compared to the substance of the world that is to come. And Jesus gives us a preview. This world is coming. And he says in, in no uncertain terms, your response to me in this world, the Shadowlands, will shape my response to you in the world that is to come. So consider the cost. These are not my words. These are Jesus' words. He also asks a very pointed question. Look at verse 25. This is a profound question. This is sort of Jesus' version of a would you rather, okay? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What would you rather do? What if you could gain everything this world has to offer and yet lose your very self? Would you take up that? Would you go for that? And he, he could either mean, like, by losing yourself, he might just mean losing touch with your truest self. And we can all think of stories of people who, you know, started from nothing and then they became famous, you know, actors or actresses or, or celebrities. And, and they really gained the whole world, riches and fame and status, but they kind of lost themselves in the process. We can all think of stories like that. Jesus might mean that. I think he actually means something even deeper than that. I think he's saying, what if in this life you could gain everything that this life has to offer, but it would mean you would lose yourself for eternity. You would miss out on that coming world. You could have it all for 80 years and miss it for eternity. Would you take that trade-off? What would you rather do? He's saying. And then he goes in verse 24, gives us one of the paradoxes of the spiritual life. One of the upside down ways that life works. Verse 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Said so the way that life works is so upside down. If you try to cling to your life, if you try to protect it and preserve it at all costs, the great irony is this. You will end up losing the very thing you're trying to keep so safe. And you'll lose it for eternity. But the opposite is true. If instead of trying so hard to keep it safe, if you actually let it go and give it away for me, join yourself to me, give it away in service to me and my kingdom, the very thing you feel like you're losing, you will actually gain. You will gain a deeper version of yourself, a fuller, that the self you most want to be, and you will gain it for all eternity. It's very counterintuitive. 
But what you lose will be what you gain in my kingdom. This is how it works. So that's what Jesus does. There's this invitation, follow me. And he basically lays out the cost. There is a cost to following me. And there is a cost to not following me. But let me just, in case you've missed it, let me just lay out the options, okay? Here's the life. You can either live this life where you're trying so hard to save and preserve the self and to gain all that the world has to offer you. Or you can live a life where you let go of all that and you come and you follow me. You live, you find your identity in me and you live with me and for me. And I think he's saying, you know what? They both have a cost. They really do. But, but man, I mean, if you could see the two options from my vantage point, I think Jesus would say, if you could really see clearly from my perspective, you'd realize, man, this, this one here, this is your only play. Like, this is the only one that makes sense. This is the only one that is, that is the, the reasonable thing to do. And so in that sense, when you hear from that perspective, I think it's helpful to realize this call that at first feels so harsh and severe, it's actually this really gracious invitation from Jesus where he's saying, hey, follow me. I I am not trying to rob you of yourself. I'm actually trying to give you your truest self and give it to you for eternity. It's the self that you were created to be, the self you most long to be. I want to give it to you. You can find that self in me. I'm not trying to rob you of all the fun of this world. I'm actually trying to give you a world that is beyond your wildest imaginations. You can't even fathom how beautiful and amazing it will be. And that's the world I'm trying to give you. So come and follow me. Journey with me. Walk with me. Be with me. I was thinking this week of his words in John. I have not come to kill and steal and destroy. I've actually come that you could have life and have it to the full and have it forever. That's the gracious invitation and the severe command all in one. So stepping back from this, you know, I was thinking this week, I wish we could interview different people who have chosen this path and those who've chosen this path. And even, even in scripture, I was thinking of several characters in scripture. For instance, Sam, if you would put up, um, uh, I was thinking of the four fishermen. Uh, here's two of them that Jesus came to, Peter and Andrew and James and John, you know. And he said, hey, come follow me. And, and the passage says they, they just left everything. They left their jobs, they left their homes, and they, they went and followed him. And I wish we could, like, interview them now. Ten years after that decision, and just ask him, tell me about their journey. What have been the costs? What have been the rewards? And I imagine they would, they would have a lot to say on both sides. This has cost a lot. This, is, this has been a hard journey. Um, but I, I would bet they would say, man, it, it's been worth it. The, the rewards have been above and beyond whatever it's cost us. And of course, if we could interview them a thousand years later, I think they'd say, yeah, the rewards have really been worth it. Contrast that with another, another uh, person in the Gospel of Luke. Um, this is uh, a guy who we know of as, as the rich young ruler uh, later on in Luke. And this was a man who was a very good man. He was moral. He was good. He was religious. He was wealthy. He had a good reputation. He seemed to be a sincere guy. And he was asking Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit life? And, and Luke tells us that Jesus looked at this guy and he loved him. Like he saw into his heart and he loved him. And he knew what this guy needed. 
He's like, well, here's, here's what you need to do. You, you actually need to sell all your stuff. Um, give it away to the poor and then follow me. For, for you, you, you won't be able to cling to me because you've got all this stuff and you'll, your heart will keep clinging to it. So that, you need to do that. It's a cost. I get it. It's a big cost. But do it. Come follow me. You'll have life. And this guy looked at it. He's like, oh, man. It says that he went away sad because he had many possessions. And he, he looked, the cost was too high for him. So I, I can't take you up on that offer. But I think it'd be interesting to be able to interview him 10 years later and ask him, what, go back to that encounter. What, what's your life been like that? What, what's, been the, what's been the benefit of not following Jesus? What's been the cost? And it'd be interesting to hear his story. And of course, it'd be interesting to interview him a thousand years later. What, what have been the benefits? What have been the costs of following Jesus? There are costs, Jesus says, but really this is the only way. This is the best way. So there's the passage. There's the invitation. Um, let me leave you with this thought. Um, here's what I think most of us are trying to do. I, I would put myself in this category. We, we, let me say this here. This is what we're all tempted to do. We're all tempted to live a life where we're trying to secure ourselves and we're trying to gain from the world and we're trying to follow Jesus too. Right? Like that, that's, I'm going to do this, this, and I'm going to add Jesus to this. And, and Jesus steps in and says, yeah, you actually can't do that. And we respond, well, I'm going to try really hard to do that. I think I might be able to pull it off. And he's like, no, no, no. No, no, that's not the offer. That, that offer's not on the table. Here's the offer. Take the offer. It's a gracious invitation. But I, I think... Until the call of Jesus becomes personal in our lives, we'll keep living this out. And maybe we'll, we'll sprinkle Jesus in. We'll sprinkle church in. At some point, like this has to get personal. And, and that can happen in a million different ways for all of us. And it's kind of out of our control. But at some point, Jesus has to step in. And these words, we have to experience. You, 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 come follow. I'm talking to you. And you have to experience that. And there's a million ways that can happen. It could be through a book. That's how it happened for me. It could be through scripture. It can be through a conversation. It can be through tragedy. It can be for, through so many different circumstances. This has to become personal. And then the question is, will we answer the call or not? And that's the invitation. Journey. Answer the call. Last thought. How do you do this? <laughs> I mean, this is like such a radical passage, right? How do we do this and there's a word that I want to leave you with that's in this passage. Look again one last time at verse 23. I think this is the takeaway. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, what? Daily. And follow me. That's the word. How do we do this? We do it daily. We do it one day at a time. One moment at a time. And um, I hear this response to this passage often. It's this response. We, we kind of have a flair for the dramatic in our culture. I don't know if you've picked that up. But I'll often talk about a passage like this. And someone will come up to you afterwards. Like, so what am I supposed to do? Just sell everything, move to Africa, and become a missionary? Right? I hear that all the time. And what that actually is, it's a self-protective response. Where we create this really drastic, ex- extreme example. And we're like, well, surely I'm not supposed to do that. So then I just won't do anything. It's kind of what we do internally. And so I want to say, no, 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 let's, let's, let's come off the ledge and let's work on daily. Like this is, these aren't, this doesn't have to be dramatic. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be miraculous. These are daily moments in the mundane, 
average, ordinary seconds and moments of our lives. Making small decisions. Jesus, free me from this desire to cling to myself, to possess all these things. Free me up to choose you in this moment. Free me up to follow you in this moment. Jesus, I'm looking at my phone. There's these three kids that want to play with me, right? Lord, okay, I want to be present. Simple as that, right? Here's some money. I kind of want to buy this. What would it look like? Maybe no. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll give that here. Uh, maybe it's I'm going to take those 50 yards of walk across the street to the neighbor and begin to engage in a loving conversation with them. These very small uh, things that maybe no one ever sees. Um, but that we see and that is real and that Jesus sees and honors. I'll leave you with a a prayer that one of you shared with me. This is actually from the 12 Steps. Uh, I love, this is a great morning prayer. Lord, relieve me of the bondage of self. I like that phrase, that I can better do your will. What a great moment-to-moment prayer. Lord, relieve me of of all of this. I can better be with you, find my identity, do your will. So with that, let's pray, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Lord, uh, that drive to cling, to acquire, to preserve, to protect is so, it's just part of the human experience. And, And so we need to hear again your call, not just as an order, but as a gracious invitation towards greater freedom, towards a freedom to actually step into the adventure that we are made for, and towards an invitation towards eternal life um, that we are made for as well. So I pray, even as we sit now, as we celebrate your death, the way that you denied yourself for our sakes, that that this might be a time where you speak into our lives. Your spirit prompts us, guides us, moves us, that we walk out of here on the journey in in a deeper way, on the journey with you, more freed from other journeys to pursue you, to be known and loved by you, Lord. So, We offer ourselves. Have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.